welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome to episode 16. Today I have with me Genevieve Ace, the founder of Traveling Donors, She's also been an egg donor herself, and her donation has led to the birth of nine children around the world. Traveling Donors is a full-service international egg donor program that specializes in the matching of intending parents and egg donors across the world. The intending parents are able to select a donor from their database while still being able to use the clinic of their choice. Traveling Donors helps to create a synergy between prospective parents, egg donors, and fertility clinics. They will also be able to guide and assist each intending parent's journey to parenthood, whether it is in selecting or arranging a suitable egg donor to travel abroad to a clinic of your choice, or whether you're in need of an egg donor and a surrogate. To connect with Genevieve, you can do, do so on social media, on Instagram at Traveling Donors, and also on their website, www.travelingdonors.com. Her details would also be in the show notes. So thank you and welcome, Genevieve. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So to so start off, please tell us a little bit about yourself. So I founded Traveling Donors in 2011, and this was as a result of a close family member who was living in the UK, okay. faced her own um, infertility struggles. Uh, they wanted to have a baby, but obviously the traditional ways weren't working for them. So they started with IVF and they were lucky enough to fall pregnant with their um, second round of IVF. And it was when I was 21 years old that I had overheard my mom and her cousin over talking IVF and I had learned the word egg donor for the first time. And I decided to do some research of what it meant because I'd never heard it before. So after doing some research, that was when I decided that this was something that I personally felt that I was comfortable with doing and that I very much wanted to be able to help uh, other women be able to have children of their own through myself being an egg donor. So I have helped um, four couples all across the globe, resulting in um, nine life births, like you mentioned. Uh, And I have donated in um, the USA, uh, Malaysia, Brisbane, and India was where I did all my own personal donor cycles for the families that I helped. Wow. And are you in touch with the nine children? Yeah, so um, my families, I have an open relationship with three of the four families, which means that they have my contact details and they can email me or WhatsApp me whenever they like. Uh, You know, if they want to share information or say hello and just let me know how they're doing. That was something that we all felt that we were quite comfortable with. But obviously that just depends on each individual case. Okay, so that's not something that's compulsory uh, in every case. No, it's not compulsory. So it really depends on each case. Uh, it depends on what intended parents are comfortable with, what they would like to have for their unborn children, and also what the donor is comfortable with. And then we t- once everyone is on the same page, then we're able to decide the best path forward. Okay. So it's okay because in some cultures, I know for, for example, in Nigeria, uh, people might feel more comfortable with uh, anonymous donor uh, and they might not want to be in touch. 
um, with the yes. So is that something that's okay as well? So it is. So it is possible to do anonymous do anonymous donor cycles. But what I do, I'm an advocate for known donor cycles, just because I do believe that given in the modern age that we're in, uh, we're all now one genetic test away from knowing exactly, you know, mm-hmm. where yeah. the rest of our family members yeah. are. So <laughs> yeah. the way the way I. I presented to couples who are feeling nervous or apprehensive about the idea of a known donor. I suggest you break it down. I say to them, right, well, you may not want to have contact after the donation, but you may decide in 20 years time that you do want to introduce this idea of the fact that you use an egg donor to have your family to your children. Mm -hmm. And if they ever had to have questions with an anonymous donor cycle, you'd never be able to really provide them with an opportunity to even have like a zoom phone call with somebody you know Um, so i believe that everyone is entitled to know their genetic roots Mm -hmm. and what i encourage um is that each person creates like a separate email address which is completely private you know not linked to their everyday lives right and the donor can create can create one as well so should either party say in five years or 10 years time decide that they would like to get in touch there is a method of communication that is available that is also right. not invasive. So it's not like an email address that you need to check every day. Mm-hmm. But if you do decide to check it once every six months and you find that there is an email, then great. If there's not, it doesn't matter. But it also gives you as the intended parent the decision to make a choice um, once you've had your baby. Because remember, it's an extremely emotional journey for everyone involved. And sometimes intending moms and dads who haven't yet had a child, um, right. it's more of a difficult idea for them to, you know, really think about how they might feel once they're, you know, giving birth to their baby, they've got the baby in their arms. It's sometimes difficult to know how you're going to feel in five years time about exactly. a question that you're being asked now. Mm-hmm. So that is why I suggest a separate email account because that way, if you do, you know, get more comfortable with the idea and you've got your babies and you decide your family's complete, but you would like to say thank you to your egg donor and send her an update, right. there is a way to still do that. And obviously, even if you did decide to 100% anonymous, you can obviously still pass those um, letters via the agency. Right. But, you know, that's also a lot less personal and you do have to then get more people involved to reach out to your donor. Hmm. Sounds wonderful, actually. At least that option is there. It's I like the idea that you don't have to, you don't have to decide now, but at least you have that option. Yes. If you ever decide. Okay. And what services does your agency provide? So I know, of course, so, you provide it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so mainly we are an international egg donation agency. So we'll be able to assist in guiding you to finding an egg donor that you're comfortable with. And then if you are looking for a fertility clinic to do the treatment with, that is also something we can also guide you with. Oh, okay. And depending on, depending on uh, what you're comfortable with and your budgets and where you would like to have the treatment uh, completed, will guide us as to what suggestions we might recommend. We do have you know, a number of um, patients who do travel from... Um, North Africa to to North Cyprus for treatment. Okay. Um, so we've had some African couples come to Cyprus to do the IVF treatment. I have a couple at the moment. They're actually doing surrogacy through Cyprus as well. They're also from Africa. So there are options available. Okay. I just know that perhaps they're not you know readily available or the information is not you know easily available at the, the moment. moment. Exactly. And that's good to know because sometimes, you know, people from Nigeria or other parts of the world travel to 
um, Europe uh, to for for IVF treatments because it's supposed to be uh, pretty much the the services and the facilities they have there are pretty uh, advanced, affordable. yeah, and yes. affordable as well. Yes. But of course, in many cases, when they do need donor um, eggs, many of these countries do not have um, donors that are black, so that yes. becomes an issue. So if they were to use your agency, would you then be able to bring donors to them if they were going to Cyprus so, or Greece or so wherever? Yeah, yes. So if they decide that they would like to not have the treatment in their own home country yeah. for whatever reasons, um, and they say they select Cyprus and they do go through our database and we're able to match, they select a donor they feel comfortable with, then we would arrange for all the treatment to take place in Cyprus. Okay. So the intended, the intended mother and father would obviously work directly with the IVF clinic with their own treatment plan because obviously endometrial preparation is a slightly different from the donor's preparation that she'll be doing. Right. And the clinic doctors will then obviously provide all the information and the steps that they need to follow prior to arriving at the clinic. I see. And how much information do you get about the donor? So if you're getting an egg donor... Do you see pictures? Like, what details do you have? Of the yeah, so our egg donor um, profiles are quite in depth. Okay. We have, a, it's about a 10 to 12 page application that you get to read through. And that has information oh, wow. about the donor's education, her family history, her, her family medical history. And that includes her immediate family. So her mom, her dad, her brothers or siblings, aunt, I mean, grandparents yeah. uh, on either side of her parents and that wow. medical information will be in her application and then also things like her hobbies types of food she might like we do ask them to write a bit about their personalities what they're studying um where they sort of would see themselves in five years time even though it's oh. a very big question yeah. it's nice to, it's yeah. nice to know where someone's thoughts are at and exactly, what yeah. sort of goals they'd like to achieve in the coming years. So that is quite a lot of information that we provide. It's not the same if you had to go direct to some of the other you know, clinics directly. Yeah. Often clinic recruited donors don't have as much information as what we provide because we're an independent. We do it our we've sorted out our own system of operation and, and how we want to deliver information to our intended parents. We mm. also follow more of an, in the American um, standard in terms of what the donor application or, or profile looks like, which in Cyprus, you don't get to see any photos. Uh, you just get to, see, it's just like two or three pages of information. Um, and then you have to make a decision based on that. With us, we will be able to provide adult photos, childhood photos. Wow. We also do, if the donor has been matched, we do request that she does about a 40 second donor introductory video, just saying yeah, a little bit of who cool. she is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you're, you're wanting to know who this woman is that is so generously offered to help you. And yeah. just seeing photos is not sometimes not enough to really get a sense of who the person is. Mm -hmm. So I do try, try and like to provide as much as information as I can while still respecting the egg donor's need for privacy and her family's need for privacy. So one question we do sometimes get asked is, uh, can we share family photos of the egg donor's parents and aunts and brothers and sisters? And in theory, we can if she provides those to us. But we do need to also um, respect her, the rest of her family's privacy. That exactly, yeah. Their, their, their personal information photos 
is not, um, my, you know, I'm not in charge of making that available to intended parents. If her, yeah. if the egg donor personally actually has to ask her family's permission to right. share photos with a complete stranger. I mean, I know mm -hmm. that if you're not part of my Instagram or Facebook, um, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want strangers sharing my photos with somebody exactly. that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So that is something that is the only one thing is that, you know, um, unless the donor provides in the photos to us where we can't force her to share information yeah. that she's not comfortable with, because obviously we have, got, we have to respect her family's privacy. Of course. Sounds good. Um, and in terms of uh, the, do you get a, a lot of the medical uh, history as well, if there's any genetic issues? Or... Yes. Yes. So genetic screening is standard. Okay. Um, in in our in our agency so we would if we had a match and the, the egg donor had never been genetically screened both the intended father and the egg donor would complete um, a simple saliva test that they would spit in a tube and then it would get shipped back to the lab in San Francisco with Invite and then with it'll take about three weeks and we'll then get the results Okay. Once we have the results, we'd be able to make sure that neither the egg donor nor the intended father um, are carriers with the same genetic conditions. Oh. So what happens is if somebody is a, if both people are a carrier for the same condition, it means that there is a 25% chance that the, the embryo, one of the embryos that we put back could uh, result yeah. in that child being born with that genetic condition and that is obviously something that we want to avoid at all costs yeah. so it's only if we had to once we receive the genetic results and we see that they are perfectly fine that no two people are carrying the same genetic conditions we're then able to formally move forward with the match um, knowing that there's no issues on the genetic side. And then the egg donor would, of course, you know, complete her standard fertility screening, checkups, and infectious mm -hmm. screening to make sure that she's in perfect health to complete the donor cycle. Okay. And uh, do you have a lot of black donors? We do have a, a large number of black donors. I mean, I am originally from South Africa, so we do have a very wide... Um, a donor database i'm currently based in puerto rico so as i move nice. around the world <laughs> we do we do um have a, a wide number of ethnicities that apply to our agency if we you know if we if you find someone that you like but not quite right um we do ask the intended mums to share some photos of themselves uh, okay. to help us with the donor search because sometimes uh, you know, we get a number of applications that come in each month and not everyone is loaded onto the database immediately because it takes time to make sure the profiles are accurate and correct before they go live. Mm -hmm. So we might be able to tell you um, or make other profiles available to you that are not necessarily um, online. Okay. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, there are some conditions that are common amongst black people. I'm yes. not sure of other countries, but for example, in Nigeria, people are really concerned about sickle cell. Um, yes. Yeah, so is that so, something, that, yeah, go ahead. So that's, the, that's why the genetic screening is so important because right. with Invite, their extended carrier screening, it screens for 301 conditions. Oh, and most okay. of those conditions would be the ones that you, you know, it would be of concern in Nigeria. So beta thalassemia, alpha thalassemia, all um, the anemias yeah. are included. Uh, you know, cystic fibrosis, a couple of X-linked conditions.
connections. So we know that that is why it's important because I, you know, different ethnicities do have different conditions we have to be more concerned about. Yeah. So like for Caucasians, um, it would be cystic fibrosis. Because yeah. at the moment it was like one in four people are potential carriers or one in eight. So I might be slightly off, but you know, that was the one that, you know, I was told is one that they look out the most for, you know, with Caucasian patients. So, um, and then the same goes with Asian, each different um, ethnicity has specific genetic conditions that are more prevalent to them. Exactly. Okay. And, and in terms of, um, I know you noted that you do have uh, quite a few black donors. Uh, what is the average wait time? for someone seeking to use a donor? So there's no necessary, there's no waiting lists for intended parents. So mm -hmm. if you came to me tomorrow, you sent me an email and you said, hi, I'm Petra and I'm looking for an egg donor that could travel to Greece. I'm from Lagos. Um, right. Here are my photos. I would then be able to send, you know, we normally start with about eight profiles first that we email to you so that you can, you know, take a look, get used to the idea of it instead of bombarding with like 50, which is, you know, really yeah. overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, you, you know, I'd get feedback from you and you let me know and you'd guide me in the direction until we found a donor that you were happy with. So there's no exact waiting list to get a donor. It really depends on the intended parents themselves mm -hmm. and what specific characteristics they're looking for in their egg donor. And if they're, you know, if they don't want to wait too long or if they're sort of quite happy with the donors that we have available, we could have a donor to um, the clinic of treatment within as short as six weeks. Wow. Okay. That's pretty impressive. Um, and with, um, if you do have an egg donor and you have to go to certain countries, for example, the UK, because um, mm -hmm. the UK, I think they have some kind of rule where the, um, the child has to have access to the donor when they're 18 or something like that. Um, if you go to a country like that or countries that do not allow anonymous donors or and so for example, someone coming from Nigeria mm -hmm. and maybe using a clinic in the UK, and wanting to stay anonymous, wanting a donor that's anonymous, but then UK having that policy of... Unfortunately, we would have to follow the laws of the country that okay. we're going to in terms of um, it being anonymous or known. So in Australia, by law as well, any children born via donor egg or sperm, um, if the, you know, the, the donor's information is registered on a donor registry. Mm -hmm. However if the intended parents don't share that with their child that they were born of egg or sperm donation, the child would never know that they have right. access to that information. So that's really a personal decision that the intended parents have to decide whether or not they're going to disclose this to their children. Okay. Just to be mindful as well that so parents also need to also check the laws of whatever country they decide to use for the, for the clinic to keep that in mind. Yes. Okay. All right. And then people can sometimes be concerned about the number of um, potential siblings. So how many times a donor has donated? Is there a cap for your yes. agency? So okay. There is sort of an international sort of agreed upon sort of, it's not written by law right. um, necessarily internationally. It does vary. But throughout the world, most clinics um, sort of cap it at six families. Okay. So you can donate to six families, excluding your own. So your own family would count as a seventh family. Okay, that's um, 
So like in the UK, um, they're allowed to donate to 10 families maximum. So basically it means your family plus nine. So donors allowed to donate to nine different families if she's an egg donor. That means she could end up with an average of 18 live births if each family, or 12 live births if each family decided to have two children. Wow. So for, okay. for example, myself, I, do, I donated to four families and I ended up with um, nine live births out of those four. So it goes to show that, you know, some families do end up having three or four children, some yeah. have two, <laughs> some have one. So it really depends. But it, it, in terms of egg donation, it is capped. Um, it's a bit different from sperm donors. Sperm donors do seem to end up having a lot more children yeah. than egg donors. <laughs> yeah, um, the process I, is different, isn't it? Yes, but I, I had thought that they would have limited that to six families as well. As well, That's, yeah. There seems to be a bit of a difference between the number of families an egg donor can help and the number of live births a sperm donor can have. And I'm not quite sure why the two don't, aren't exactly the same. Mm -hmm. um, but I have noticed that sperm donors have up to 50, 60 children, some of them. Wow, that's them. a lot. Yeah, it's a bit too much yeah. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder if it was because of the whole process for egg donation. I mean, it's a little bit more intense, but even well, then, 60 is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've heard, we've heard horror stories of doctors back in the day who had been using their own sperm. Yeah. To even like now. Kids. <laughs> I know, and stories are still coming out. So it is a bit, you do get a little bit concerned, but for egg donation, it is capped at six families. And also it's a very taxing process um, yeah. on the woman's body. So most egg donors like myself, I've, I've helped four families. And to be honest, I don't know if I could do it again. It's, yeah you do reach a point where you're content with what you've done with who you've helped you're you're happy to see the joy on these families faces yeah. so i don't feel that i need to complete the other two outstanding families that i have mm -hmm. if i had to come across a really remarkable couple and i connected with them on a personal level I'm, i may consider it but i'm also turning 30 in two weeks time oh, so wow. my my time to to be an egg donor again is running out personally but it is something you do, you know, you get happy that you've done it and yeah. it's, it's not as easy as being a sperm donor. That's, yeah. but that's for sure. So what's the age uh, limit then for donor donors? So technically, it, obviously you have to be 18, but a lot of clinics do prefer donors who are close to the age of 21 years old, just for mm -hmm. emotional maturity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a big decision you're making. We want to make sure that you're, you're making this decision when you've had done enough research, you're yeah. not just doing it, you know, because you might be able to have a compensation or think it's fun or easy. We want to make sure that you really are educated about your decision. Um, mm -hmm. And that you are, you understand the long-term um, side of effects. Yeah, the long-term impact of being an egg donor is that there are going to be children in the world that are genetically related to you. Yeah, but are there so any, the, actually, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the, so the maximum ages would be about 32 years old uh, to be an egg donor. That's the cutoff unless uh, you've got proven fertility. So proven fertility is you've already got a child of your own that you've had less no more than two years ago, because mm -hmm. obviously we know that a woman's fertility decreases with age as she gets older. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, yeah, so the, so the average age of an egg donor is around about 25 years old, uh, but you can be an egg donor at home as young as uh, 18, although I don't personally, our agency doesn't personally accept donors um, at 18. We have had donors 19 and 20, but that was on a case-by-case situation um, where, where we had deemed the donor was, you know, mature enough and she had completed her psychological evaluations and mm-hmm. everyone was happy and had approved her to move forward. And then, yeah, so the maximum age would be 32. Uh, in Australia, they do accept up to the age of 35 and in countries like Georgia and Ukraine and a few other countries in Europe will accept donors up to 35 years old. But I, but I do know that the average is most clinics prefer the donors to be under 30 years old. Okay. And in your case, I know you noted that you, you for now, you think you've, uh, you know, like you've done it as much as you want to. Do you get a yeah. chance to actually also have um, egg freezing for yourself? Yes. So yeah. I have frozen my eggs okay. myself. Um, so I have eggs frozen in Cape Town. Uh, I did that last year. I got okay. nine, nine out of my 10 that I collected were mature. So I've got Yay. nine frozen. <laughs> I know. Um, and that, and that's also got to show you don't, you know, it's about quality over quantity. You'd rather exactly. have really good eggs than 20 average eggs. So I am planning on doing one more round of egg freezing myself. Um, right. The rule of thumb is that you need 10 eggs to have one live birth. Wow. And <laughs> and how that I know it sounds scary so yeah. let me break it, so let me break it down so out of all the research I've done in the 40 years the scientists and biologists and all these super smart people have been able to work out that on average in order to have a live birth you need to have a minimum of 10 mature eggs so then once those eggs are fertilized if all 10 fertilize, and on average fertilization rates are around 80 to 90% on, mm-hmm. in, in most clinics with young eggs, um, you, should, you should be having a fertilization rate around 80%. Um, and that also, but then we also have to make sure that we have good sperm. So if your yeah. husband's sperm is good, he doesn't have any issues, like genetic issues, you know, he's not over, he's under the age of 45, you know, he's been taking good care, doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, doesn't have high cholesterol, has been taking his yeah. vitamins, then the chances of you having a high fertilization rate is very good. So now, say we've ended up with, I'm going to just say, give us the perfect results. We've ended up yeah. with 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. We're all very excited. Happy, like, yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, we started out strong. So what happens is, the rule is, of the eggs that are fertilized, Usually only 50% of those will make it to blastocyte stage on day five or day six of the embryo's life. And then if we are lucky and we do end up with five embryos on day five and they're frozen Mm -hmm. and we could take it one more step where the embryos could be um, PGS tested. And this is when one or two cells are removed from each one of the embryos to be sent away for genetic testing. Mm -hmm. And and when the results come back, they will tell us whether or not these embryos are chromosomally normal, meaning they've got all 23 pairs of chromosomes and, you know, either XX or XY. So when those results come back, usually... Of the number that you end up on day five, only half of those are genetically normal. 
So that is how it, it, the stats quickly drop down. Yeah. Obviously, you need to bear in mind that's just the average. They comp- when, when they put all the information together across the world and they mm-hmm. worked out the averages, this, this is what they were able to tell us. So, you know, if you have 10 eggs and you get five blastocytes, you've done perfectly. You couldn't, you know, if you, if you got any more than that, you know, you've really got some fertility guardian angel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yes. So um, that is why, you you know, so of the five, we should have at least two or three chromosomes in normal embryos. And then your, your doctor would probably only recommend to put back one at a time to avoid the chance of a multi, you know, twin pregnancy, which is obviously then high risk. And mm-hmm. we want to make sure that both a mom and baby have an easy pregnancy experience. Wow. That's amazing. Um, now, just keep in mind what you just noted, how from 10, you could easily go to one live birth. Um, and in some cases, some people could have, like you said, you do PGS testing, but they could also have some other genetic term conditions they're testing for. So could your donors potentially, because do you have, first of all, let me actually ask, do you have a minimum guaranteed uh, number of eggs that the donor would, you know, sometimes I see that saying that, you know, you might get. Okay. So when you see an, an egg guarantee, that's usually from the medical clinic side, not usually from the, um, agency side. Right. We okay. personally, we personally don't believe in giving a guarantee mm-hmm. as I believe we're working with a human body and exactly. I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to put yeah. that kind of pressure on the egg donor to mm-hmm. perfor- to perform. Yeah. In the, and, and often when you see those kind of guarantees, the thing that makes me the most concerned is how much medication are they putting that egg donor on exactly. and the risk, the risk they're putting her life through without sharing that information with her. And that does happen a lot throughout the world is that there are clinics who don't tell the donors enough about what it actually means to go through IVF. They're not, I mean, like India and is a big, there are a lot of uneducated women who will see being, being an egg donor as an easy way to get of course, some money. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, and, it, and I want to stress being an egg donor is not an easy paycheck. Uh, those are not the kinds of women that we want to be egg donors. When you become an egg donor, you know, you should definitely have altruism at the forefront of your mind. You're doing this because you want to feel good about helping another family achieve their dream. Yeah. And then, you know, the compensation or the gift that you get along with it should be the bonus. That should not be the main motivating factor. Reason, obviously, right. I, you know, obviously I know I was 21 and 22. I was a student when um, I was an egg donor for the first time. And the compensation was a great gift. You know, it paid for my studies. It paid my rent. So yeah. I fully understand that, you know, they, it's fine to be have like a, a motivation that's 50% for the parents and 50% for yourself. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we're all, we're then everyone's benefiting from the experience and everyone's happy at the end. And that's really important that, you know, for us as an agency, if a first time donor donates with us and at the end of the experience, she writes us a testimonial or, you know, writes me an email and says, you know yeah. what, Jenny, you had such a great time. I really can't wait till I get to help another family. Wow. And that's how you know as an agency that you've really done a good job mm-hmm. in taking care of all your donors' needs and made sure that she's fully supported throughout her experience. Yeah. And that's very important because even many intended parents are concerned. They want to make sure the donor's life is not put at risk and people could have uh, overstimulation. They want to make sure mm-hmm. all that was well discussed. 
Okay, so if a family then needs, so for example, if the donor has a cycle and maybe has six eggs, uh, and the family perhaps needs, will want to have a sibling, will the kind of donor donate twice to the same family if they wanted to just maybe freeze more or have other options for the future? Yes, absolutely they can. And I just want to like, you know, follow on to what I was saying. So the average number of eggs we have seen young women produce is around 15 to 18 eggs oh, on a collection. Yes, you know, because that's why the younger the donor, the better, yeah. the better the fertility, the better the quality of eggs. So, yes, um, hang on, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the average number of eggs is around 15 to 18. Yeah. And then often from that, you should get enough embryos to try for a sibling. But if you do run out of embryos and you would like a sibling, we are able to arrange um, a sibling cycle. And obviously, um, the, your donor would have to undergo the same procedure again mm -hmm. to produce more eggs for you. Okay. And what is the cost of, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure, is that something you can discuss? Cost I mean, or... I think it, yeah, I can give a, a rough estimate, estimation. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, if, if working with a traveling donor is a little bit more expensive because you need to factor in the flights and accommodation once the donor arrives at the location of treatment. We take care of all those arrangements for you, so it's not an added stress that the intended parents have to worry about. Okay. But the average cost for an egg donor, you're looking... So I'm going to work an example, like South African... And, South African egg donor traveling to Cyprus for a patient from Nigeria would probably right. cost around $11,000. Okay. Okay. That, you know, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's not an, it's not a cheap, uh, it's an expensive procedure to go through. Yeah. But it's, it's good, but it's also, I can see why it, it makes sense. Like, because obviously, yes, yes it might be $11,000, but that covers everything the donor needs. And then you just have yes. to pay for your own treatment. But then of mm -hmm. course, all you get, you do get to see what the donor uh, looks like, at least to a better yes. extent, to have an idea what the mm -hmm. person is like. Because like you noted earlier, many clinics wouldn't give you that information. And people yes. are already concerned about the yes. fact that they have to use a donor and that if you do actually want to use one, it would be nice to have more information about the person. See, maybe you have some similarities, right? Maybe you read the same, you like the same kind of movies or whatever it is. Just something to give an idea of who this person is. So, so I, I, I forgot to, yeah. So, yeah, so, so I forgot to mention is that, so on top of providing, you know, a very detailed application, the donor video, the 20, you know, for example, maybe she shares 20 photos with us. If you confirm, once you've confirmed it's a, a donor, what we will also do for you is we will arrange a group Zoom or Skype call. Okay. So, my, so myself or one of my colleagues will be on the call with you and the donor and the intended parents to do a friendly introduction to say hello, like everyone, you know, put a face to a name. Oh, wow, that's lovely. Uh, <laughs> Yes, and, and the nice thing is that, and, and we can do it anonymously, so we let our egg donors log into a separate Skype account uh, so that the intended parents don't get her details and, and, and she doesn't right. get theirs. Mm. And so we do, we do respect everyone's privacy. And then they get to, ha and most of the time, if, if 
I need to do more talking. It depends on how chatty the parents are and how shy everyone is. So sometimes yeah. I don't need to do much more than say like, hi, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. Then people start chatting by themselves. But if everyone's a little bit shy, then there is somebody on the call to act as a bit of a buffer and an icebreaker mm -hmm. to help get the conversation going. And then usually after we've done the Skype call, we allow everyone sort of what we call like a cooling off period of okay. like 72 hours, which gives both the egg donor and intended parents a chance to go away, think about, you know, what they've just experienced, the woman they've just met, chat amongst themselves just to make 100% sure that they really are happy with the decision that they've made. Right. Um, it's obviously the Skype calls not compulsory and I don't, and not all our parents um, opt or ask me to arrange it. It really depends on each individual um, intended parent. Some of them want it, some of them are just perfectly happy with the video and they say it's more than enough. So we are extremely flexible and, and try and be as accommodating as we humanly can be um mm -hmm. with requests as long as they're obviously realistic right um if you know if someone comes with some i don't know obscure request from the egg donor it's probably not going to happen right. a lot of we you know people and you know people need to remember egg donors are people you're exactly. not it's, it's yeah. not a product you're going to purchase at the beauty store um, and you, there are no refunds, like you yeah. can't return it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, she has, she has her own thoughts, feelings, and emotions. She's a, she's a human being. And I, and I think sometimes people do forget that as much yeah. as you've gone through your own personal journey and struggled with infertility, here is a young woman of 22, 23, who's graciously offered to go through that same journey with you put her body through the exact same process you went through for five years to donate her eggs to you. And I think sometimes that is what gets lost in translation between intended parents um, and the egg donors. And I've been doing this for nine years. So I can honestly tell you that I have seen this does happen that intended parents can sometimes forget that yeah. the egg donor is a person, not just someone that you're reading off a piece of paper. Um, and we do try and advocate, you know, we try and advocate very strongly for both the egg donor and the intended parent. We want to make sure that everyone is fully supported. And we are, I've reached a point now where I've decided that if I feel intended parents are not quite yet ready to take, to make the step yeah. to doing egg donation, even if they personally think they are, I do recommend therapy and therapy is extremely positive. You know, yes. book a session with a fertility coach, a business coach, a life coach, somebody who's outside of your immediate circle who can really give you an unbiased opinion um, and be a sounding board for you. I do know that a lot of women, when they're going through this process, they don't find their husbands to be very helpful. Yeah. Or... <laughs> well, because in your mind, you think, well, you know, you're the one providing your sperm. I'm the one that has to use a donor, right? So you need someone outside that. Yes. Um, so, you, yeah. you know, I think it, it, it is important. I think people often look at therapy in a bad, and, you know, therapy is a negative yeah. thing. I think it's an extremely positive tool, especially for IVF. It's such an overwhelming um, process that it's yes. good to have a, it's good to have a safe space outside of you and your partner's journey. Even Definitely. if just you yourself personally go once a month to have a, to vent for exactly, yeah, to yell at somebody and be like, "Hey, <laughs> I hate having to do this." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
you know, exactly. That is, that is, that's important. And I think we need to be more kind to ourselves. Those of us who are going through this journey of IVF um, and realize that it's nothing to be ashamed about. We, you know, whether I, whether I suffer other health illnesses later in my life or my friend goes through IVF, it doesn't mean one of us are being punished and the other one's not. I know people do feel like they're being punished when they're struggling with infertility and IVF. I know that's not the case. It's just, you know, each of us have to work, walk our own path and we have our own unique challenges. Um, Well said. (laughs) I'm just trying to watch. Watch the questions. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) No, no, no. It's been great, really, because these are important things. uh, Using a fertility coach or a counselor is very important, even if you're using your own eggs. But if you're using egg dinner, definitely much more important because you need to come to terms with that reality and understand what the end goal is and accept it. Because, you know, like you said, you can't can't return it. It, You need to be ready before you get into that process. You know, and, and over my nine years of doing this, I, as the, you know, as the agency owner and, and, you know, I'm one of the consultants, so I'm, I do manage cases and then I have obviously some staff who do as well. We will try and be there as much as we humanly can be, but there have been times where my patients have had me on the phone for two hours, venting and crying and talking their stories. And I love them, but I'm not, trained i'm not a psychologist i'm not a trained infertility coach you know i could obviously you know be empathetic and supportive but i you really should get somebody who who has the tools and the know-how to really help you break through those boundaries while you're on this journey um but it's a difficult thing to suggest therapy to somebody a lot of people yeah get like oh no that's not for me i know i don't and need that i'm fine I, there's nothing wrong with my exactly brain, yeah but it's, but it's not about your brain i'm worried about your heart how is your heart doing yeah you know yeah. how are you feeling emotionally about this like listen i'm not worried about your your I mean, obviously infertility can affect one's mental health Definitely. but when you you know when you're doing egg donation i mean the one woman i was helping last year she didn't tell anybody in her family, not her family, not her friends, nobody, just her and her husband. And I suggested, don't you have a life coach or, or look into these fertility coaches that I know? And I sent the links and she went and had two sessions and she phoned me back and she said, actually, those two sessions have been quite transformative and she's feeling oh, a lot amazing. more yeah. comfortable um, with this process because you one needs to understand when you've been, you've done five rounds of IVF and then your doctor says to you, unfortunately, there's nothing more we can do. We get told you have to use an egg donor. Exactly. It's not like, like the doctor tells you, you have to use an egg donor to get pregnant. It's a very difficult thing to, to accept. accept. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then, and then often after the clinics, there's no more support. Yeah. You get told you're infertile. You get told you need an egg donor. And then 10 minutes later, you're walking out of your IVF specialist door and you feel like you are an incompetent human. Like you feel like you failed as a woman and they send you home with no support. And I've listened to so many stories and I'm just kind of like, but surely like somebody has got to realize that 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 system is not working. The yeah. way that doctors deliver information, I know. Uh, I, especially in this industry, I think needs to be changed. Yeah. 
And it seems like they should even know better, right? Because they, they've seen so many people, they've seen how it impacts families and people, but yet they're just like, it's almost like robotic, like uh, it's a science textbook. Well, this is what it is. Deal with it. And it's like, uh, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, like in, in Australia, it's compulsory for both the intended family and the egg donor to do two sessions of counseling. Oh, that's so, amazing. So in Australia, uh, when, when an IVF specialist tells you that unfortunately they can no longer um, continue using your own eggs in this journey, in order to move to, to be approved by the clinic to move forward with egg donation, you have to complete two counseling sessions with the, with the fertility counselor. Wow, I love that idea. That should be compulsory elsewhere. I think it's amazing. Let's do that. Counselor. I think um, before anyone, anyone can just move on to a donation, I do think that they should, you know, at least one or two sessions yeah. should be compulsory for both, both the husband and the wife, because exactly. we, we all know how much tension this journey can, can cause, put on yeah. a marriage. Exactly. And many marriages have fallen apart because of mm -hmm. IVF. Yeah. And I think I personally believe had those f marriages had more um, support, support yeah, and counseling, where yeah. each, where each partner, both the husband and the wife felt they had a safe space to go to, um, you know, it may not have ended the way, you know, that, that it did. And I, and that, and I'm not just saying therapy is just for women. I think the men, they, they too need to learn how to voice the way they feel about this procedure. And too often, we tend to neglect the fact that they also have feelings and I mean, but they just men just process and internalize things very differently than us. Yeah, nobody pays so much attention to them. It's just the women. <laughs> <laughs> so just to actually ask when you talk about that, because in most of the time we've spoken now, we've spoken about the egg donors traveling. Mm -hmm. So for example, if the couple let's continue to use Cyprus. So the couple is yeah. going for treatment in Cyprus. If the um, egg donor from your agency lives in South Africa and decides to have the procedure in a clinic in South Africa, is that possible? Yeah. And could they transfer the eggs to Cyprus or do they always need to travel? Yeah, no, they don't, they, excuse me. No, they don't always need to travel. So we can have the treatment take place where the donor is living and then right. have the eggs shipped to Nigeria. Right. So it is an option. It is also an option to have an egg donor potentially travel to Nigeria. But I will say now that based on my experience, when I personally took an egg donor to Nigeria, I'm not okay. sure every, everyone would, every young woman would necessarily be yeah. keen on coming to Lagos. Right. You know, like it's, I can't, I can't force donors to go to countries they don't feel comfortable with, but I can, it, you know, it, it, is it a possibility? Yes, it's a possibility if we found a donor who is happy to do that. I mean, that's the thing, you know, I, when I speak to patients, I say, them, you know, a lot of things are possible, but we need to understand we're dealing with a lot of different people uh, and we've got to make sure that everyone's comfortable through exactly. this process. So I, I do like to go, you know, step by step and take things slowly versus rushing through everything. So we can. So yes, you don't necessarily have to travel out of Nigeria to complete your treatment. It is possible to have the eggs um, shipped to you. I Last time I inquired about shipping eggs into Nigeria, I heard that there were a couple of issues with immigration. 
and that was about 18 months ago so at the mo it is possible but i do know that, that you would just need to confirm with your clinic about right. receiving genetic material because i heard that nigeria has their own strict laws about the importing of genetic material into the country okay and uh, you have said a lot, you know, told us a lot about egg donation and of course the egg donors and your agency as well. But is there any other information about egg donation or your agency that you'd like to add? So some more information that I would probably talk about seeing as, you know, we are talking about Nigeria is, you know, if you do find that you do need an egg donor um, and your clinic is suggesting that and take your time, go home, think about it. Remember, the uterus doesn't age the same way eggs do. Uh, women are able to have babies, you know, up until 60 years old and give birth. You know, I, we've seen, you know, a mom caring for her daughter or a grandmother. Mm. You, you know, these things do happen. So if you do happen to find yourself needing an egg donor, I would suggest, you know, before you delve into Google and start researching all this, take a couple of days for yourself and promise yourself that you won't use Dr. Google to Google everything, yeah. <laughs> you know, really like give yourself some quiet time, some downtime, because before you embark on this next whirlwind, you need to like almost be at peace with yourself before you embark on this journey. Yeah. And it's important to feel comfortable with making this step. And I don't, the worst thing to do is to start a process and then realize you're not yet ready for it. But that's also okay if you start doing the research and finding agencies and start looking at profiles and then decide you need more time for yourself. That's fine. You really want to make sure that when you decide that you're, you're doing this, that this is something that you're 100% in agreement with, you're comfortable with it, you've thought about how you would like your family to be in five years' time, you know, you've envisioned the end result. And that is really the goal is to have a healthy, happy baby. Yes. And we want, to help, we want to help you to have a healthy, happy baby. And, you know, another tip that I give a lot of parents is when you're look, thinking about the kind of woman that you'd like to help you to be an egg donor, physically write it down. Get a journal, write a pros and cons list. It might sound stupid. Like, do a process of eliminate. I want her to be five foot seven and... I kind of would like her to look like my grandma or, yeah. <laughs> you know, it would be great if she studied biology at university. Yeah. Physi physically manifest the things that you would like to see in the donor profile and have a very clear vision of the person that you're, you're hoping to find. But then at the same time, also make sure that you remain flexible because the perfect egg donor doesn't exist. Even I'm not perfect. You know, and I've had nine live births. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure I've met, I maybe ticked seven or eight of the 10 boxes my intended parents were looking for when they found an egg donor. And the same will probably happen to you is when you are reviewing donor profiles, you will short, you know, if I, if I send you 20 and you ended up shortlisting them down to the top five, each one of those girls or those young women, you will like something from the one candidate A and you'll like something uh, from yeah. candidate four and something mm -hmm. from candidate five. So, you know, and, and, and once you've really worked through what's important to you, when you view these donor profiles, it'll be easier for you. You'll be, it'll be easier to eliminate the profiles that don't stand out at you. That when you read them, you, when you find the right donor, a lot of people tell me like they instantly clicked with the profile. They loved what you wrote 
in her you know her personal history section of yeah. what she'd like to do when she's graduated or her reasons for being an egg donor like some of my parents have said that they love that she read the same books as they did <laughs> you'll yeah. find you, you'll you'll find something that you connect with in the donor profile and trust your gut if you mm -hmm. have that feeling like for some reason you can't put your finger on it but this profile you know, she might not look exactly like you because obviously we're all different, but she'll have yeah. certain elements that are similar to you. And if it feels natural, then go follow your gut, follow that instinct, and then ask the agency more information about that specific candidate. Uh, and, and, and until you're happy and if they are able to provide you as many photos as possible, um, because then once you're able to, to view all that information and sit with it for a couple of days and review it with your husband, the two of you can then make an informed choice because the next step after that is you are really now are going to commit to this journey. Yeah. Because you could review donor profiles for years without making that decision to take the next step. So mm -hmm. how long does it take? It really depends on each individual parent couple. I've had some parents who, or couples who've been in communication with me for two years before they even select an egg donor. Wow. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, each person's own readiness for this journey, yeah. that they needed those two years to get their head around that this is the journey that they have to embark on to become parents. Mm -hmm. um, and then I find once they are fully committed, everything has to happen pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, people are pretty quick. But that would be sort of my main advice is it is going to be overwhelming. It is going to be confusing. It's going to be like you're going to want to run away into the ocean and never come out <laughs> yeah but but be, be be kind to yourself to slow things down there is no rush um you know there are thousands of egg donors out there wanting to help you um we all have um, our own reasons for becoming egg donors but we all do have good reasons for being right. egg donors you know we're good people I haven't yet met an, you know, a bad egg donor, if mm -hmm. you know what I mean. Um, so I would just end off with one of my favorite quotes that I have at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, it's by Audrey Hepburn. And she says, um, as you grow older, you'll realize you have one hand to help yourself and one hand to help others. Mm. And that's, I read that the other day and that really resonated with me, um, especially what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think, you know, we could also trans that can carry on into our everyday lives. If everyone just practices a little bit more kindness, especially yeah. given the current global pandemic, yes. I think it would help. It would, it would go a long way to, and kindness, and kindness costs nothing. Yeah, it's it, costs, it costs nothing <laughs> to open the door for an old woman. It costs nothing to help someone with their groceries. Yeah. And as a young woman who might be thinking of becoming an egg donor, it also costs you nothing to be an egg donor, to, to share that kindness and, and help another family. Yeah. Um, and that's something, another way to look at it is that as young women, we have so many ways we can help people. And for me, I found my calling through being an egg donor myself. Wow. Well said, I love that. Thank you so much. And it's amazing what you do. It must be so fulfilling for you to do this on a daily basis and to think it all started with that one conversation, being at the right place at the right time and 
I know, I know that <laughs> it is. It was nine years ago now. I can't believe that it's that that's how my journey started. Yeah. But I do. I mean, I do. I do love what I do. I'm I am passionate about it. Obviously, the coronavirus has been terrible yeah. to so mm-hmm. many businesses. Of course. But yeah. I hope hopefully that's finally on the mend. Coming to slowly. An end, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, slowly. Thank you so much, Genevieve, uh, for coming on the show today. It's been pretty amazing having you on here. And I know lots of people will definitely be able to unwilling and reach out to you to use your services because this conversation has come up very often. Many people, not necessarily in Nigeria, Nigerians mm-hmm. traveling to other countries to, to have treatment, mm-hmm. but just not having a lot yes. of access to black donors or people that look yes. like them. So it's amazing. And of course, yes. you know, they've also had... Um, times where they go into clinics and they they say that they have a donor but they can't see any picture right because again people might look at you know nigerians or blacks or whatever and say you know that person looks like all the same yeah you all look alike or whatever but then as (laughs) as a person you're like no maybe it's a different shade maybe the person doesn't have the same kind of nose or whatever so it's nice at least have something to give you an idea uh, rough absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely look i I've, i couldn't imagine yeah selecting an egg donor without knowing what she looks like exactly. maybe knowing what she sounds like yeah um i mean i know people thousands and thousands of people travel to cyprus and poland and yeah czech, czech republic very yes they czech it's very popular yeah they don't show photos of egg no. donors at all it's illegal it's the law yeah. And I, I mean, I just, I wouldn't be able to do that. I, I'm, I take my hat off to those women who are brave enough. Yeah. And yes, they, you know, the only way I could imagine that someone being comfortable, that is their end goal is I want a healthy, happy baby. Exactly. Yeah. So they are not too worried about the physical characteristics yeah. as long as it matches up to them, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes for someone like me. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I think as we've become more and more modernized, it's important for us to, I would want to know. If I needed an egg donor, 100%, yeah. I would want to know as much as I can. And most certainly, I, I wouldn't be worried about what she looked like as a child at yeah. all. I, want, <laughs> I know. I want, <laughs> what do you look like now? <laughs> I was like, yeah, please send me your photos from your, when you're tw- your 25th birthday. Exactly. That's what I, I want to see those photos. I don't care what you look like at 17 because I look very different at 17. I know, right? <laughs> than I do at 25. Yeah. So that's wonderful. So I know for sure lots of people would... Uh will be uh, excited about what you, your agency offers. So I'll definitely yes. be uh, putting your information as well in the show notes. So thank you so much, Genevieve. It was a very informative My session. Pleasure. And thanks thank again you. for also stressing the importance of uh, counseling or therapy, because sometimes we forget that that's very essential in this kind of, uh, in this whole journey. It's important either you're using your own eggs or a donor. It's a very stressful um, thing to go through and experience. So yeah. So definitely, so the support is essential. So thank you. And uh, any final words? Anything else you want to say? Ask all the questions. Yes. (laughs) You're with your doctors or with me or with another clinic. Don't feel that you're not entitled to ask your question. Mm -hmm. No matter what question it is, big or small, don't ever leave a consultation with a question unanswered you're paying money good money for these medical professionals to help you for someone like me 
if you have a question, please ask it. It's not, there is no stupid question. Yeah. And, and, you know, you would feel so much better when asking your question versus leaving and having it unanswered. So please um, ask a question and be a big advocate for yourself in this journey. Yes, your doctors and you know, medical professionals are there to help you. But if you don't advocate for your rights and advocate for your success, you, be, you can become a number to the clinic because they're helping thousands of people and they do provide individual treatment, but you need to speak up for yourself. Right. And that's one thing I've noticed is that we need to advocate for ourselves as women in, yeah. in many things that we do, especially in IVF. So please, ladies, if you have a question, ask it so that you may leave the room feeling empowered and may be able to make the right decisions for your journey. Perfect. Thank you so much, Genevieve. As I noted earlier, <laughs> you can reach Genevieve on Instagram at Traveling Donors and also on our website, uh, travelingdonors.com. So thank you so much, Genevieve. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. And we look forward to having you again in the near future. Yes, because when I come back, I'll be able to talk about egg freezing for the career woman. Yes. Do you thank offer you. that? Yeah, I'm just... starting. Yeah, I'm starting a separate company with a friend of mine, and we will be focusing on egg freezing, fertility tourism packages for the young career woman. So, women from Nigeria who want a holiday in Cyprus, but yeah. also want to freeze their eggs, we're going to be building packages where all you need to do is you'll come to our website, you'll pick a location and you know a package that you like. And then we would take care of everything for you. And one of the concepts that we're adding on this is we were, we're looking at doing it as a group. So you may meet other young career women from all wow. over the world. Networking as well. Who will do it at the same time as you. So like hypothetically, you'd log on to our website. You'll check out what dates we have available. And at the same time, you'd also be able to see which other business women have signed up for the egg freezing vacation yeah. so that you could um, know who you're going to be yeah. um, to meet. But and another thing you could, people can also then do is you can book corporate egg freezing packages. So if you have oh, four a company. Five, yeah. So if you are four or five women from the same company and you'd like us to come and do a virtual um, presentation to like your CEOs on the, yeah. on, the, on the importance of egg freezing so that they can give you two weeks off. Those are that, so that is the direction I'm also moving into because obviously I'm extremely passionate about young women. Yes. I'm turning, you know, I'm turning 30 in less than two weeks now mm -hmm. and when I went through egg freezing, there just wasn't enough support for me personally, even yeah. though, and you're like, oh, how can she feel unsupported? She's got nine <laughs> years of knowledge. <laughs> I, it is, it's, it can be a very daunting and, and lonely journey, even to freeze your eggs alone. And I was the only one in my group of friends that was doing it and nobody yeah. else was e even considering it. And when I went through it, there was, you know, even though I know a lot of the information and I've been through the IVF procedure to be an egg donor, it's very different when you're on the other side of it now. Yeah. You're now doing this for yourself personally. So that's, that's, so that's a new company that we're forming to help women my age who are looking to freeze their eggs, but something like a fun vacation where you can meet four or five other businesswomen yeah. doing it at the same time. So that's the concept we're that's, working on. That's an amazing idea. And that's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that happening. 
Definitely. I can see lots of people wanting that. It's, it's actually pretty amazing because, again, like you're noting, people actually need to start pushing for egg freezing. You know, yes. some people even have conditions that might impact the egg quality and it could get worse as time goes yeah. on. So, you know, pushing to have that done and a vacation yeah. and meeting other yes. women, networking, yes. building more businesses. It's, it's perfect. Yes. So the one thing I remember when I was, do, we came over to do, do our eggs, the, the one egg dinner cycle that we've done in Lagos was that actually the cost of treatment in Nigeria is not always cheaper than mm -hmm. other countries. No. Like the IVF costs in Nigeria is I think around 7,000, 8,000 US dollars. It's not yeah. as affordable as some people think exactly. Africa is. As Cyprus, for example. Exactly. I mean, or, I or, or Czech Republic. I, yeah, I could uh, freeze my eggs in Turkey for $2,000. Wow. And that's just right here. Yeah. Lots of Nigerians go to Turkey all the time for vacation and to... to exactly. So th th that is why we are now going to be building egg freezing um, packages and like corporate egg freezing retreats, you know, where yeah. all the young women from, you know, from a company, company can, yeah. they can go together at the same time and get it done. Um, but it's exciting because I feel like we're creating something for career women that isn't currently there. Yes. Um, if it wasn't for the fact that I had been doing this for nine years, number one, I knew egg freezing was the right thing to do. Number two, I don't personally know if I want children, which made it even more difficult for me to go through the egg freezing journey because mm -hmm. I don't know if I personally am, ever want children. I haven't made up my mind. I'm currently still leaning against the no side. Um, so I froze them regardless. And, and I think that made it even more difficult for me is because I didn't, I still don't know if I want children. So freezing your eggs when you don't know if you're going to use them does add another layer to it. And that is where I felt that I didn't have the support or where it would have been really nice if I was doing this process with a couple other women at the same yeah. time to chat about exactly. the thoughts and feelings that we had about this. Like, hey, like, how do you really feel about this? Mm -hmm. You know, and other women who are not, you know, as proactive or thinking about freezing their eggs or don't need to, they won't understand the feelings yeah, that a, yeah. you know, a high profile lawyer or an up and coming exactly, doctor, yeah. mm -hmm. what kind of feelings and emotions she has to make this decision, um, even though we know it's for the best. It doesn't yeah. mean that those feelings shouldn't be addressed. Exactly. And it just gives a choice. People need to, yes. to, to, to have that option. And I love yes. the corporate packages because again, lots of companies, I think even for companies, it helps them, right? Because if, mm -hmm. if you give your staff the two weeks to do something, to give themselves some kind of um, reassurance for the future, yes. some kind of security for the future, yes. It helps them to work better and understand that a company also cares about them. So yes, it's it's a small investment in something that could really work out well for the company. Exactly, exactly. You know, especially you know, it benefits the company. It benefits those young women that fall into that age bracket of you know twenty seven to thirty five. Yeah, because that's the the, the group that we'll be focusing on. I mean, this, it's, it's exciting because I don't. I we that's why I'm starting it because we haven't seen yeah. anybody else no. creating the support for the younger age group is so much out there for there your, you know, your third, late thirties and forties. Yeah. yeah. Like there's very, very little out there for your 27, 28, 29 year old who's going, Hey, I know I kind of should freeze my eggs, but where yeah. do I even start? 
exactly. you know and sometimes when it's overwhelming like that like a lot of young people we know the millennials um yeah <laughs> when things get too difficult they just kind of sometimes give up yeah and i wouldn't want a woman who's wants to freeze the eggs to like run away from the computer just because it looks way too overwhelming so well, we're tr- hoping to make it a lot more streamlined, a lot more simple, um, so that, you know, the people who do go through the egg freezing procedure don't have to worry about much more than packing a bag and getting on an airplane. Exactly. And that's why the support and having other women at the same time will come so essential and very useful at that time in helping them navigate that whole journey. So perfect. It sounds yeah. very exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to be doing some documentaries. Uh, we're going to be filming oh. in Turkey and filming in Cyprus for the egg freezing and the egg donation side of it. So once I've got some more details, um, then I could definitely jump on and come back and chat about yes. that for the younger age group, because that's really what sort of ignites my passion at the moment is just trying to create a service for myself, like yeah. something that I would want to to be involved in as if you know if this product existed i probably would have bought into it myself you know two years ago when i did it so um because the thing is infertility is curable if you do if you are proactive at 27 or 28 years old about about your fertility future yeah but we don't know nobody knows right you're just just like uh whenever i'm ready whenever i meet somebody but you can still get ready before all of that Exactly. Right. You don't need to wait for a man. I mean, you can take charge of your reproductive future yourself and yeah. feel empowered so that if you do meet somebody at 36 years old, you have yeah. eggs that are 29 years old. You exactly. Know? And, if you guys, and if you guys try for a year or two and don't fall pregnant, you know that you have an insurance policy so that you can exactly. still have that child. And also it ends up saving you thousands and thousands of dollars down the line yeah. of treatment if you froze your eggs now versus. Yeah. And, and then I mean, like I, the, the, just knowing that by creating this new, like um, expanding on my knowledge for younger women and knowing that I can prevent or help avoid a lot of trauma and heartache yeah. for people, women my age, 10 years down the line, that is a huge motivating factor for myself and my friend who, who are starting this now. Yeah, it's an excellent idea. So definitely looking forward to the lunch and having that happen. And I love those locations you've chosen, Turkey and Cyprus, <laughs> beautiful locations. You know, oh, so, yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect <laughs> vacation uh, to, to you know, get your insurance sorted and then live your life and whenever you're ready. Exactly. It's there. And that's the thing. Most women, um, if you're young enough, you would probably only need to freeze your eggs once. Very rarely, like me, I only got nine. I, but it's my personal choice. I want to have around 20. Right. Um, but most young women, you know, they naturally produce around that. I've just got a different, my body just works differently. Uh, and, you know, once it's done, you never need to think about it again. Yeah. You know, you've frozen them, you freeze your eggs at 30, you get 18, and you never need to think about it again. You can go exactly. back to living your life, and they're there if you ever need them one day. Yeah, it's perfect. I, I wish I had that when I was 27. <laughs> but again, I love the idea because we want to, you want to make things better for the younger yes. women, yes. right? You don't want them to go through the same things that you know, I'm having to go through, right? So you want people mm-hmm. to have it easier. So if there's a way to help people, for sure. So I'm really excited about what you have coming. And we look forward to having you coming back to discuss that. 
and empower so more much. Nigerian women to take charge. Yes, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Genevieve. It's been a pleasure it's having pleasure. you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.